Welcome to Mentoring Moments. Mentoring Moments is a sub-series of the E-Commerce Edge podcast. It is composed of clips taken from Jason's one-to-one and group mentorship sessions. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. I have another banger of an episode lined up for you today. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome Liz Carter from Grow AI. Welcome, Liz. Hey, Jason. Thanks so much for having me. My absolute pleasure. You're based up in the beautiful Gold Coast in Queensland, Australia, aren't you? Beautiful and sunny. I am right on the beach. Yes, I, I spend a lot of time up in that area. I've spent historically a ton of time up in that area. Don't, not so much now that I'm based in Mexico, but I've got family living in Brisbane. And that whole, that, that whole side, that whole state, that whole area is just spectacular. So between the Gold Coast, the Sunshine Coast, and Brizzy, it's all just pretty, pretty spectacular and beautiful. I agree. It's a vacation, no, non-stop vacation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we, we, I was actually, I was introduced to your technology. Someone actually emailed me, I think it was maybe a podcast booking host or something like that. And they were wanting to give the opportunity for you to have this conversation with me today. And I'm really glad that they, that they did reach out to me because I hadn't heard of your technology before. I haven't used your technology before, but I always love speaking to people that have a passion about what they're doing, especially if it's in the e-com and tech space, especially if it's SaaS technology. It's wonderful. I get to have conversations with people that I would never get the opportunity to have conversations with outside of this podcast. So I'm really glad we have this chance to catch up. Me too. I love it. And tell us a little bit about how you even got to be in this space. Like what you, I've read your bio, you're featured in Inc., entrepreneur, fast company, etc. So you're clearly making a dent in the world, which is amazing to see. You've been doing this for nearly four years with Grow AI. You've been an advisor in the digital space. You've worked in the ERP space for a long time. So clearly you are quite technical, but clearly you also understand building businesses, building teams, entrepreneurship. So it feels like you've got multiple skill sets that you've brought together under one roof to build Grow AI. That's correct. I'm, it's a long story of how I got to do chatbots and AI, Facebook Messenger, Instagram DM. I guess I started with chatbots back in 2016. In 2016, 2015, 2016, I decided that I wanted to leave Romania and I wanted to emigrate to Australia. So I was thinking of a way that I could, I didn't want to be an accountant anymore, which is what I was back in Romania. And I thought of starting an online fitness business, which was my passion. And I did that. I joined a mastermind. And on this mastermind, it was a one-year mastermind. And the guy who was training me said, Liz, go sign up for ManyChat, create an account, learn chatbot automation, and start driving Facebook chatbot ads to sell your course. And that's what I did. I, and that's what I did for a couple of years. It was doing incredibly well at that time. I was also doing a lot of things that are not, let's say, Facebook compliant anymore right now. It was a gray area. Like you could do a lot of things. You could get away with a lot of things. I loved the chatbot building part, the geeking out. And a couple of years later, 2018, my online fitness business didn't work out, closed it down. Tried my luck with a few different other things like an e-com shop, cross affiliate marketing. None of them work, worked out. So then I decided to get a job in the Microsoft space. And that's where I went back to my accountancy skills, ERP. And I did that for about a year. 
end of 2019, I still wanted to have my own business. I quit my job, left on a cruise with my daughter, and I came back with the, the idea of opening a chatbot agency, which I did, and I started reaching out to and pitching local businesses to build Facebook Messenger chatbots for them. And I did that for a couple of months. I started getting my very first clients right about when COVID hit. And as you can imagine, that didn't go out. That, that didn't turn out very well. All of those businesses closed, shut down, disappeared. <laughs> I did too. That's when I went back to, I had to pivot. So got more training in terms of chatbot building. And at the same time, that's the very first time that I came across the idea of using AI, stacking AI on top of a Facebook Messenger automation. And I didn't see what was going to come, ChatGPT, but I thought it was a very interesting, I thought that was the future. So I taught myself Google's AI in, would have been May 2020. I taught myself Google's AI and because nothing else was working at the time except for e-commerce. I decided this is my new target market. Let's go after them. So I started reaching out to CEOs, LinkedIn, cold emailing. That's what I was doing all day, every day, nonstop, pitching them my service. And eventually, one of them said yes, found it interesting. I started building for them, got really good results. And then from there, it just took off. So it sounds like you almost are, or at least were, a, almost a combination of a chatbot agency, and then you pivoted into building the underlying tech. So you became a platform business or a product-focused business, as opposed to a professional or managed services business. And so it feels as you evolved, both as a person and as a business, you went more in the direction of wanting to build a product slash platform as opposed to approaching every one of these clients as a bespoke one-off custom built chatbot just for them. Have I got that kind of right? We are still a service-based agency. So we're building them with them. At the moment, we are actually training in-house teams for e-commerce brands because that's what the market told us they wanted. Initially, we were 100% done for you. We were building it from scratch, managing it. However, in time with sales calls and feedback, I realized these people want to have their in-house team trained so that they can convert their chatbot marketing e efforts into whatever they're doing right now with email marketing, SMS marketing. That's where chatbot marketing is heading towards. Now, we got very good at delivering a service, not on our own platform, but on a different, on, a, on another platform called ManyChat, which has some limitations. You can't track revenue. You can't do a lot of things, which obviously with, without data, you can't make decisions. So on top of ManyChat, we built our proprietary tracking system that basically allows the full spectrum of not only building high converting chatbots, but understanding what's happening in the back end, how people purchase, why are they not purchasing, and designing experiences that ultimately get them to a purchase sooner or later. So we're still a service-based, uh, and right now we've pivot pivoted towards a hybrid done-with-you service where we're actually teaching them. Because when you think of building chatbots, it's not just about the chatbot building, it's the strategy, how is it going to fit like, how is it going to solve 
the biggest challenge that they ha may have right now in terms of acquisition. For example, a lot of them cannot get in time to all of their leads, to all of the inquiries. They, they're missing out on a lot of opportunity just by not having that one chatbot that can do that for them. And that's how what we do. We go in and we build a strategy from scratch and then we deploy what makes sense for their business. And how do you find, so, so my experience with chatbots historically has not been great. It's actually been horrific. I've met very few chatbots bots I like. We featured, we, fe we featured Nibble on the podcast before and I've tested out their system and it's pretty impressive what it does with the whole commercial negotiation of buying and selling products. And I love what they've done because it's gamified the chatbot experience through the negotiation process. Um, but in terms of other chatbots that I've used with airlines or other e-commerce businesses, etc., chatbots for the most part have been pretty rubbish. And I think that what we're seeing now is we're seeing that a lot of the help desk platforms are now including a chatbot in with their technology and they're overlaying AI over the top of it. So if we think of Gorgeous, if we think of Zendesk, if we think of Intercom, we think of some of the major players in the help desk space and in the knowledge base space, they seem to have all rolled in now this automated chatbot powered by AI layered over top of their knowledge base information so that it's always up to date, it's always current, and it's always giving relevant information based on these large language model underpinnings. So have you, how have you seen the chatbot industry evolve, say, especially in the last 12 to 18 months with the advent of AI? That's a great question, Jason. So when, you, we, when we talk about AI, there are two pieces, especially right now when we have AI. So we have the rule-based chatbot, which is probably what you're referring to, the if this, then that, where you design the automation and you design the sales logic behind it so that it takes a different path based on what people do inside of the chatbot. Now, the problem with that is that if you don't design it properly, then people risk getting stuck in the conversation. Asking some, if you type something in a chatbot like that, there's a good chance it's not gonna have the answer because it's only rule-based, it's not AI-powered. So with that piece, the best way to go about it is to build a strong bot-to-human handover. So in terms of Instagram DM chatbots, Facebook Messenger chatbots, we tend, we want to build a strong bot to human handover so that whenever people type something and if the chatbot cannot handle, that conversation should be directed to a human team who can be alerted instantly, step in and take care of the query. Now, the other piece is AI. And what we've been using for the last three years is Google's AI, which is Dialogflow. That allows us to take massive amount of data and model it into a custom AI model that we train based on our clients' proprietary information. For example, if you go to ChatGPT right now and you ask it a question about a specific product that you want to buy off a website, and you say, how is this product going to help my acne? I don't know, something along those lines. It's not gonna have the answer because first of all, it only has public information up to 2021 at this point. And it was not trained around that particular brand's proprietary information. So what we've done with AI, remember when I said people, if they type something into the chatbot, it's gonna pause. We've stacked this other piece where we've trained that custom AI model around a specific brand, BTC brand's 
proprietary information which we've collected along the lines, along the time, inside the chatbot, based on what people ask. That's it. It's literally what people are asking. We've took, we took it and modeled it into, let's say, buckets, topics. So I may say one topic may be around shipping, one topic may be around how does this product work, one topic may be around how much is it. And each topic has tens, if not hundreds, of training phrases that allow it in time to get better and understand context. So to the point where if you ask it, do you ship to Australia? It's going to understand that the context text is Australia and it's going to reply in context. Yes, we ship to Australia, shipping times are like this, pricing is like this. If people ask, do you ship to, I don't know, France? We don't, if they don't. So that's how they both work together. And they can also work separately, but if you only have the rule-based chatbot, like I said, when people type something, a human may need to step in. Whereas if you have AI stacked on it, on top of it, then a human may not have to step in because AI has handled it. And how does that differ from something like a Gorgeous or a Zendesk or an Intercom that is layering on AI over their chatbot but pulling this quote-unquote proprietary information that maybe is updated, it might even be updated daily from the knowledge base that's part of those platforms. And sometimes that knowledge base is exposed on the front end of the website. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just an internal knowledge base that, that the chat system plugs into, pulls data from, indexes it, and exposes it through the chatbot system in terms of automated responses. And so how does your system differ from that style of system? That's a great question. Gorgias works on the website, whereas what we're building sits directly behind Instagram DMs and Facebook Messenger. And not only does it sit behind these two channels, which have massive reach, DTC brands run massive paid traffic, right? From these profiles, a lot of traffic that comes to their DMs is from people seeing their ad, going to the profile and trying to DM. And not only that, but it's scalable. So let's say you build a chatbot system behind your Instagram DMs, and then you get it to convert. Because when we're talking about chatbot systems, we're not talking about customer support only. We're talking about a chatbot system driving sales, offering product recommendations, offering um, different types of offers, and at the same time, following up on people over months if they don't purchase. Now, let's say you build a chatbot system behind Instagram DM. And it may convert anywhere between 10% to 20% of people who interact with it into shoppers. So that's what we're getting at the moment. Anywhere between 10 to 20% on average, the highest we've got in terms of purchase conversion rate was 30%. So past this point, you have the option of scaling it. So for example, driving Instagram direct to DM ads that show in your feed, that show in your stories, but it's paid traffic that can be scaled with this type of experience. So that's the difference between Gorgias and the chatbot system that we built. And how, so talk me through the mechanics of what you were talking about there in terms of driving ads. So explain to me how that works in your environment. So is the are we talking about dynamic ads here that are driven by the types of questions, inquiries, negotiations, products? 
that are happening through DM. How are we generating those ads and how are we getting those ads placed? Is that all an automated process as a result of using your technology? You set up these ads in Ads Manager, just as you would set up normal Facebook ads. These are chatbot ads, and there are two types, Messenger chatbot ads and Instagram direct to DM chatbot ads. Messenger ad chatbot ads have been around since 2016, ever since Messenger automation was made compliant by Facebook. Instagram direct to DM ads are newer, I would say. So Instagram DM automation was made compliant in late 2021. So early 2022, we were able to drive Instagram direct to DM ads as well. So the way that you set it up, you set it up inside of Ads Manager. It's just a different type of setup. And when you're looking, it's just like any other ad. You can choose two different objectives, objectives for this type of ad, either lead generation or conversion. We've tried both. And right now, almost all of our clients end up driving or help getting us to help them or teach them how to set up conversion chatbot ads. What this means is that, you know, when you have that button on your ad that says click learn more to find out more, this one, click the button, if you click it, it instantly fires Facebook Messenger, for example, or Instagram DM. So that's how it's triggered. So you set it up on the ads manager level and the call to action is click send message, click sign up, click whatever you're running. Maybe you're running a quiz. Click learn more, whatever it is. Correct. Even learn more. And when they click that button, the messenger conversation fires. And then from there, the chatbot takes over, designs a quiz recommendation. And the other aspect here is having your adding comment triggers to all of your other ads, not the messenger or the chatbot ads, like the normal ads that you run on Facebook. Like just when people comment or are interested, more info, they just comment. And we have clients who get thousands of comments on their ads that never get answered because they simply don't have the bandwidth. So what we've done here, we've added an evergreen comment trigger that at the point where somebody comments interested or whatever they comment is going to reply automatically. The chatbot will reply and is going to say, hey, thanks for commenting. I just sent you a DM. Uh -huh. DM sends and gives them, usually we try to stick with three different options. One is, can I help you learn more about our products? Can I, or can I help you take a recommendation quiz? The other one maybe, or if you have a question relating to your order tracking. So we're trying to cover as much as possible. Usually we manage to cover around 80% of what usually people have to ask when they comment on the ad and that's covered by the chatbot. The rest may be directed to a human team, but either way, all of those comments are now captured and converted into either shoppers or happy shoppers. <laughs> or happy inquirers, at least. Correct. Correct. And in, in that sense, I guess it's almost like a hybrid between your standard web-based live chat on your website and a miniature CRM in a way, because effectively you're managing all of those inbound requests or those inbound communications almost like in, in a CRM platform, because you really now we've got effectively almost like cases being opened that are being, some are being automatically responded to, some are being passed on to a live chat agent. How many times do you see a scenario where a merchant is going, I love this, but now my customer service team has to live in two different interfaces. They've effectively got to live, so let's say they're running 
gorgeous on their existing e-commerce website, for example. And that's the interface that they live in every single day for 90 plus percent of their website queries. And then now they've got to live in a secondary interface, correct, for your platform. So how are merchants dealing with that twin interface environment? I guess in some respects, maybe they're, maybe they're living in other interfaces anyway for phone calls, et cetera. But how are merchants dealing with two separate effectively chat interfaces that they're living in? Excellent question. They're not. We've created an integration with Gorgias, which is what 90% of our existing clients work with right now, and they don't. So whatever ticket starts inside of Instagram DM or Facebook Messenger will be sent to Gorgias. So their team does not change how, nothing changes around how they handle all of these. It's just that they get more DMs, they get more sales, they get more interaction in their chatbot, but then the handover to the customer support team is still the way that it's worked previous to this automation, whether it's Gorgeous, Desk, or whatever else they're using. And so Gorgeous obviously has their own native integration with Instagram, DM, Facebook Messenger, etc. But effectively, what you're saying, if I understand you correctly, is you would get the merchant to turn those native integrations off out of Gorgeous. They would just disable those integrations. And they would effectively, your system takes over, it integrates with InstaDM, Facebook Messenger, and then it acts as the middleware tool between the Facebook and Instagram APIs and the Gorgeous APIs. And it only hands the things over into effectively creating a case inside Gorgeous that people then respond to through their normal workflow. Is that basically how it works? That's exactly it. The only difference, and we send a training video to our clients after we set this up, is just that they would be seeing those op- new open tickets in a different view in Gorgeous. So it's not going to be seen in the view that they were used to because they would have seen all of the conversations prior to this. Now they don't have to see all the conversations because the chatbot is going to handle, so let's say it's going to handle about 80% of all the conversations. So there is just a very slight change where they would see it just in a different view. Make, makes complete sense. And it is, you, is it your vision ultimately to take your layer that you put on top of ManyChat and commercialize that? Does ManyChat have an app, an app store infrastructure? How, do they, how does ManyChat work? Would you like to productize your layer, your AI and analytics layer that sits on top of ManyChat? Would you like to turn that into a, effectively a standalone product that then other agencies, other, you could maybe surface this, for example, in the Shopify app store, the big commerce app store, whatever, as a layer that goes on top of many chat. What is your vision for your product roadmap? Or is it your vision to always be effectively a hybrid services agency combined with a tech vendor, tech platform provider? My vision is to, and that's what we have migrated towards. My vision is listening to what the market wants. And what the market wants from us right now is to become, is to be an educator. Because like I said, building chatbots is not just about building chatbots. It's about understanding how a DTC brand works. It's about understanding how the acquisition process works and combining our marketing skills, marketing brains with our tech brains. So there's a very good combination between these two skills where We're teaching right now. We're teaching everything that we've learned and what I've learned since 2016 building chatbots because we've tried so many things and more than half of them have not worked out. 
when you go into ManyChat and you have, ManyChat has training of their own as well, and it's a fantastic platform, very, has a lot of functionality, probably the most functionality out there in terms of chatbot platforms for Messenger, Instagram, and WhatsApp. But there's a lot of things that do not make the, don't move the needle, let's just say that. And all of the DTC brands that come to us, their main goal is how do I drive more sales? <laughs> so what we're doing is we're teaching them exactly what works in terms of how are they going to use this technology to drive more sales and scale it. Because what Facebook has been pushing for a couple of years now is the ability to build DM lists, subscribers DM lists, just like you have email subscribers list, SMS subscribers list, and we've been doing it first with Facebook Messenger, we've been in close beta when Facebook started pushing it out, and now we're in close beta with Instagram DM. So what that means is that they're allowing you to broadcast at scale via DMs. So think Black Friday. Black Friday is coming now. Like we've had a client, Black Friday, they did Messenger broadcast. They did $100,000 per hour with Messenger broadcasts. So that raises an incredible opportunity of leveraging these channels now before, before it's open to the public, before everybody else does it, just like they're doing it with SMS marketing and email marketing. That's why they, they see the relevance of building in-house teams that only do this because their marketing calendar changes all the time. And for us, it doesn't make sense. Like we, for our done-for-you service, it didn't make sense bandwidth-wise, <clears throat> to keep up with each client's marketing calendar. All right, now we have to uh -huh. do all of these changes, adapt, <clears throat> excuse me, and but teaching them how to do it, and we have a flash sale, bam, let's broadcast. And it's not just about broadcasting flash sales, like we've, we're teaching them how to broadcast and educate people. So for example, taking a piece of content, like a blog post, converting it into a conversation, and then they broadcast that initial message, hey, would you like to learn more about how this can help you X? And then they say yes, and the conversation starts. And the, it's an educational process that they're leveraging to get people more in, further introduced to their brand, get them to ultimately purchase. And I guess the good thing about this is that the brand doesn't need to know the email address of the customer. They don't need to have the email address because they're using the infrastructure of DMs and Messenger, so they don't necessarily have to have the email address of each of these customers to be able to have a conversation with them using the plumbing from Instagram and Facebook. And with that opt-in function, is it a scenario where, for example, if I'm a brand and someone follows me on Instagram, is that a tacit opt-in or do they need to do an explicit opt-in beyond that for you to then be able to broadcast back to them? they need to do an explicit opt-in. So they give you specific permission and <clears throat> you also have to follow Facebook's policies. So Facebook says people need to know what they're opting in for. And you, for example, you can't tell them, hey, can I broadcast you when we do this X product launch? And they say yes, but then you broadcast to them about the flash sale. That doesn't work. <laughs> it works, but it can get you in trouble. So they have to, because we're talking permission-based marketing and we want to be mindful and respectful of people's inboxes because Instagram DM, if you think about it, Facebook Messenger, there's still such personal channels. And when they beep, you're going to check it. Huh? Facebook wants to force us to do it right. Now, you also mentioned a very important piece, which is email. 
across all of our chatbot systems, our email collection rate inside of the chatbot, Instagram DM, Facebook Messenger, is around 95%. So we collect emails, email addresses massively, and at the same time, build our client's email list. But by collecting the email address, many times we also, so we sync it to, let's say, Clavio, to a specific Clavio list, and at the same time, trigger an email sequence that complements the conversation in the chatbot. For example, let's say the chatbot has initiated a recommendation quiz, has asked six to seven questions, learned about the user, recommended a product that's very relevant to their current interests, captured their email, sent it to Clavio, sent it to Clavio together with all of the interests collected so that the email marketing team can now leverage all of that information in their flows. But at the same time, it has instantly sent an email Thanks for taking our quiz. Here's your recommendation. So now our clients are instantly in front of their audience via two channels, DMs and email. So they, they work together. And another reason why we're collecting email is because these channels are very profitable, but they are rented audiences. So Meta owns them, but we don't own them. So if anything should ever happen in the future, <laughs> we want to make sure that we also collect the email from all of these subscribers and our clients always have the ability to contact them in the future. So when they give their explicit permission to opt in, do they also have to literally type their email address in the chat for you to collect it? Or do, when they explicitly opt in, then Meta releases the email address to you via API so that you, then you can sync it? That's a great question. These, the, these two opt-ins are separate. So email is one, so we ask for their email once. And then on Facebook Messenger, is it's a lot easier because just like you said it very well, Messenger pre-populates whatever email address they have on their phone. Instagram, not yet. They have to type it in. That's with email. With the broadcast permission, <clears throat> they just have to tap one button, a button saying get updates or get messages. And that's pre-made by Meta. And it says, it has a message that says, you're opting in to receive promotional messages, you can opt out anytime. So it's very well designed. Architected. Correct. And when they receive a broadcast, for example, they can always opt out. So they have the option, a small option saying manage. So if they don't like it or they think it's too much, because when they opt in to receive, they could, they can receive daily broadcasts. So you have the ability to broadcast to them daily over a period but, of six months. But just like with email, you're going to get super high unsubscribe rate if you do that, right? That's correct. That's correct. Yes. So if you abuse, abuse the access to their inbox, they're going, to, they're going to make you pay for it. Here's the thing. That's exactly what, I guess, part of our mission. We are here to train clients and promote the idea of making every, every conversation meaningful, not just buy now, buy this, 20% for the next 24 hours, because that's not where we're at anymore. People from what we've built for like some of the biggest brands out there, Snow Teeth Whitening, Obvi, a lot of big brands, we've built a lot of educational. So we've led with a lot of value, 80% value mostly. And when we lead with 80% value, for example, somebody opts in, gets an offer about a product, but they don't know exactly how that product works we could get the chatbot to follow up maybe 30 minutes later saying, hey, by the way, 
here's a video uh, on how to use whatever you inquired about. Pure value, no, sale, no sales pitch, nothing else. And how does this work with the other types of ads that seem to be creeping into my messenger inbox? It hasn't happened in InstaDM yet, although I suspect it's coming. So I, I, haven't I haven't subscribed, I haven't opted in, to my knowledge anyway, unless I did it unbeknownst to me. I'm still getting a significant number of ads in my messenger message stream uh, from advertisers. And so what differentiates the placements that are coming in as, a, as an obvious ad into my messenger stream versus the opt-in ones where I'm getting you know, a, a message from somebody that I've said, yep, I want to hear from you, send me promotion, send me information, whatever. How is Meta differentiating between those two? Because to me, they seem exactly the same for all intents and purposes. They seem I'm going to click a message in there and it's going to take me through to a website or whatever. It, it feels like Meta has waltzed out of one side of their mouth. They're saying, we're going to protect your inbox. And out of the other side of their mouth, they're saying, no, actually, we want to, we want to shunt uh, a whole bunch of ads down your throat at the same time. So it feels like there's some tension here. Can you help me understand what that means? That's a fantastic question. You are referring to sponsored messages, which used to work a lot years ago. We've stopped using them a couple of years ago because it's a hit and miss. You, you're setting up a sponsored message and you can target your entire messenger list. I don't think they will, be, they will ever be available on Instagram and they will be deprecated on Messenger. The reason for that being is we used to use them like three, four years ago. They, and they, the ROAS was crazy, like even 150 ROAS we were getting. We were so you can set up a sponsored message, target your entire Messenger subscribers list, and then depending if you know how to properly set it up, it's going to just go out there, hit and miss. It it's may land in somebody's inbox. It usually hits about 40 to 50% of inboxes of the subscribers list. But there is no, there's nothing behind it. So you don't have data behind that user. For example, if you were to do... It's non-segmented. It's not any of that. Nothing. It's not, absolutely. It's just a one-size-fits-all. You send it out. Whatever hits, hits, whatever doesn't. And I agree with you. It became spammy, cumbersome, and it, from what we've seen, it ruined experiences. So we stopped using that about two years ago, right about the time when Facebook introduced the ability to broadcast on Messenger. That's when we stopped using it, and we shifted immediately to that because we joined the beta program, and we did it ahead of everybody else. And that was a game changer because you could segment, you could send out a broadcast, but when each user clicked on it and started engaging, it took them through different paths based on what they had previously said or clicked or action taken in the chatbot. Maybe they were interested in a specific product. So that's how we were able to segment, but sponsored messages are probably going to be deprecated in the near future. What's interesting is you said I would need to be a subscriber to be able to receive those messages or even be exposed to those messages. But I swear I've gotten messages from people that I never subscribed to, I never opted into, and I can't opt out from. Like There are certain messages that I get in Messenger that I do not get the option to opt out from. They are just flat out ads. I don't know, maybe it's the region I'm in now, maybe it's in Mexico, maybe they do something different in different countries. I'm not quite sure what the spam rules are, where they operate, but I definitely for sure have received ads that I never subscribed to, to them or followed them 
and I don't have the chance to opt out of those ads for sure. The subscription process, what you call, what we call subscription is simply being a chatbot, simply taking one simple action inside of that DM. There wouldn't have been any sort of specific explicit request for you to subscribe to getting these messages. It's just one interaction. Maybe you sent a question or DM or something you did by mistake, but you in engaged with that brand once and then you, they consider you a chatbot subscriber. Wow. So you okay. have given them uh explicit permission information or explicit permission okay i'm gonna have to be extra doubly cautious then in the future so that i don't get caught in these messenger spam traps because the reality is email spam is bad enough and i do get the odd spam in in instagram dm as well although that is filtered out like the, those message requests are much better filtered in instagram they're much better filtered and they're in a completely separate tab, and I have to actually manually go into that tab. And then sometimes I have to go in even one step further to the automatically hidden messages to find those messages. So the Instagram experience definitely, from a filtering and anti-spam perspective, feels much more powerful and granular than the one in Messenger. I feel like the Messenger experience is ripe for more abuse in a way, I guess is the term I would use. And maybe that's because... It's an older technology. It's been around longer. And so people have figured out how to game it. And because the APIs were open sooner, maybe people have figured out how to game that one better and earlier. And it was abused. Thus, the, all of the policies and compliance rules right now, it was abused. So initially, when we had messenger marketing back in 2016, 2017, when I was doing it, you could, broad, you could broadcast to people literally like... <laughs> whenever you want it. So there were no regulations. There were no, then they introduced the 24 hour window plus an extra broadcast outside of that 24 hour window. That was too much as well because people were just like broadcasting and then they removed that extra and then they kept the 24 hour window. That's it. They said, you can only reach this user inside of a 24 hour window from their last interaction with your chatbot. Now that turned it into a nightmare because there was no way you could convert these people. You only had 24 hours. There's only so much you can do in 24 hours. For example, if they express interest in something now, and you may want to get your chatbot to reach back three days later, or there was no way, there was absolutely no way for you to do that. And then they played around. Or if they don't check Messenger for 24 hours. So what, what happens if they're on vacation Correct. and they don't check Messenger for 48 hours, 36 hours, Correct. whatever it is, then even if you did send the message, they ain't going to see it. Exactly. And past that point when they realized, because I was at the beginning of my chatbot agency in that period where we just couldn't do almost anything. Like, how are we going to monetize these channels if we can't reach out to these people? And then immediately, shortly after that, they started introducing this ability of a one-time notification, saying, okay, you can collect permission from these people once they can say, all right, message me once in the future, and I want to learn about this. But you could only message them once. So then you would tell them, all right, would you like to be notified when we have our Black Friday sale? Let's say that. And they say, yes, perfect. We're going to broadcast to them on Black Friday, but that's it. After Black Friday, you had to collect it once again, and it was so cumbersome. It was 
very hard for us to drive sales like that. Facebook saw that. That's why they deprecated that one-time notification. And then they introduced a different version of what we have now. So now we're collecting a permission, and then we can broadcast to them once every day for six months. And after six months, Facebook sends an automated message to their DMs saying, would you like to opt out or stay opted in? So it gives them the option to continue staying opted in or opt out. Now, this originally, what, how it started was they made available three options. You could collect permission to broadcast to them daily for six months or weekly for nine months or monthly for 12 months. That's how it initially started. And then they saw no use in the 12 months and the, and the nine, I'm sorry, nine months one. They deprecated those, so now we only have the daily for six months because we were in beta, probably a lot of many other agencies were in beta with their clients, with, and we tested, and we saw what works and what doesn't. This one works worked the best. And just because you're allowed to send one message daily for six months doesn't mean you should or doesn't mean you have to. So you, you may only want to send one a week. You may only want to send one every two weeks or when something significant is going on or when, it's, when you feel that segment is worthy of receiving that particular piece of content or information or sales pitch or whatever it might be. That is correct. And live chat Oftentimes, if we look at Gorgeous, for example, and it integrates with an e-commerce website like a Shopify, it has access to all the Shopify information around this customer. It will tell you when they send a live chat, it will tell you what page they're on the website, what products might be in their shopping basket at the time. It will pull up their previous orders. It will pull up their previous chat history with you so that the operator has a tremendous amount of information at their fingertips that then can also be synced to Klaviyo as profile properties, you know, all sorts of two-way integration so that Gorgeous knows what's happening across all communication channels, even the ones it doesn't own. And it feels like that's, uh, the, these types of integrations are so critical because there's so much that happens outside of each individual siloed system. And how do you guys or do you guys know what's happening if that customer, for example, gives their email address to you and allows you to send them email messages out of Klaviyo. But then we also, by definition, know what their account is in our e-commerce platform. And now we know, okay, what categories of what well, we could know if we were if we integrated that information, like a search and merch platform. We would know what they added to their wish list, what they abandoned out of their cart, what categories they browsed, what search terms they used. We would have access to all that information. In fact, search and merchandise platforms already do. So it feels like that information would all be pretty critical information for your chatbot to know as well. So is that kind of on your radar to pull in or do you already pull in all that information today? We pull some information. We look at, so we don't look at Shopify as the source of truth. We look at Klaviyo because the revenue numbers sync in there as well. So we look at Klaviyo and we can pull information back and forth from within Klaviyo. For example, to give you an example of how, what this would look like. Let's say somebody opts in through Instagram DM we collect their email address, instantly send it to Clavio, and our chatbot can check. Is that email on some list? Has that email been on a list for a while? And then if yes, then we could get it to come back and potentially present them with a totally different offer that it will give to somebody who comes in, is on no email list, is brand new to the brand. So that's the, the integration 
and the communication line that we're currently pulling right now. And then in terms of all of the other actions taken, we can, so we can still send all of that information, let's say, but information from the chatbot. So whatever they're doing in the chatbot, do they click a button? Did they have a look at this product? Did they have a look at a different product? Whatever they're doing inside of the chatbot, there's a long, inside of their conversation, we can see the conversation, but in between we can see all of the custom fields, all of the tags, everything that's changed in the meantime, based on what they've done in the chatbot. And then that can be instantly seen by any customer support team. For example, in Gorgeous, they can open the chat and see everything that that, that user has done, what they clicked, how many times they clicked it, tracking lead score, and a few other metrics, for example, we track lead score to purchase. Lead score inside of the chatbot. How many times, how many touch points has it taken our chatbot to convert this user into a shopper from the point where it started the conversation until it placed the first order? So we have a few different metrics that we can send back and forth. Makes complete sense. Look, it's, it feels like a pretty complete and end-to-end service. You've obviously been doing this for a while. This is definitely not your first rodeo. So how do you guys make your money? It sounds like there's a tech component to this, especially from an analytics perspective and some of the tracking details and some of the data holding uh, aggregation and analysis side. That feels like it's over and above what many chat would offer out of the box. So it feels like you're offering an element of an analytics platform, but you're offering a bit of a white glove service as well, a knowledge transfer and capability transfer service. So how do you guys make your money? How do you even how do you even build for this? Is it is there one component that's a SaaS fee and one component that's a service fee, or do they just pay for ManyChat and then they get everything else as part of your package? How do you guys make your money? That's a great question. It's just one fee as it concerns us, concerns us and their ManyChat account. So it's mainly a transfer of knowledge of everything that we've learned and how it relates to them. So we sit down with them, with each brand, even though it's a transfer of knowledge, we sit down with each brand and we map out the strategy each month and we tell them pretty much this is what you need to do. <laughs> this is what you need to build. We're going to give them access to our internal chatbot training where we're only teaching them what works and skipping everything that doesn't. That's the first piece. Then the second piece is the strategy, like I mentioned. We're going to tell them what to build. Third is we're going to give them the exact templates that we've used with all of these massive brands, plug and play. Plug and play, just change the copy, adapt it to, obviously, it's a little bit different for each client. And then we help them deploy it. And helping them deploy it a few times, a few different chatbot campaigns is going to help them understand how to build one themselves, how to test it, how to troubleshoot it. And then the other component, which is very important, is how do you drive more traffic into your DMs? Because it's not just organic DMs. If you get 10 DMs a day, that's not going to make a lot of money. So then we teach them, okay, you could, let's say you build a high converting quiz, right, in Facebook Messenger. And at the point where that quiz is converted, let's say, above 10%, above 15%, even 20%, you could start doing regular email blasts to your non-purchasers. That email blast, if they click a button, Messenger fires and takes them. That's one thing. They can, they can put up regular stories telling people, DM us the word quiz or DM us whatever. When people DM on Instagram, an experience triggers. And there are 15 different ways 
to drive more traffic into both Instagram DM and Facebook Messenger, which we tell them exactly what to do. And not only do we tell them exactly what to do, but we give them swipe files. We, tell, we show them exactly what our previous clients have done and has worked the best. And all they have to do is model and deploy. And now that's how they learn. So they usually work with us for a few months, usually at least four months it takes for them, for their team to pick up the technology, to understand how to build strategy for their future changes in their marketing calendar. Whatever is more complex, whatever it's a one-time setup, set it and forget it, we do it. We pretty much do it. So for example, there may be an example, maybe we've built a use case where when people come into the chatbot, and say, where's my order? I didn't get my order. Whatever it has to do with order tracking, the chatbot can collect their order number, can collect their email address, head over to Shopify quickly, come back, speed back an order status, and that usually covers 80% or more of the inquiries. If they're not happy with that order status, they would be prompted to speak to a human team. So all of these more complicated, like gorgeous potentially, gorgeous integration, which is a one, one time, we will do it for them because there's no need for them to get over complicated and dive deep into the technology if they don't have to. But everything that has moving pieces, for example, Black Friday is coming. We're gonna teach, we teach them how to build a subscribers list so they can promote Black Friday via DMs. Makes complete sense. And what, in your stack, like if you were to look out 12 months, six, 12, 18 months, what does your kind of overlay over the top of ManyChat, what do you see you guys getting asked for over and over again? Or are there things that are coming down the pipe either from Facebook or Insta or things that you just say, we don't do this today, but I would love us to be able to do this. So we're going to add this in addition to our playbooks and in addition to our technology and in addition to our integrations, we're going to add this service or we're going to add this technology to make our customers' lives easier. What's next for you on your radar? So first of all, it's important to note that we've, so we're already allowing or teaching them how to track their chatbot revenue using our system, which is based on matching email addresses. Because like I said, we're collecting 95% of email addresses in the, and that's how we track revenue. It's the easiest way we've tried many other things, cookies, whatever. None worked. This is the most accurate. Capture the email, see if it's placed an order. That's it. Because ManyChat does not have a tracking system. It has a rudimentary pixel, but that doesn't work. It's, it doesn't work. So we've, first of all, we've stacked this, and that's how they're able to know what type of revenue they're driving. And then moving and looking ahead, we are testing and experimenting right now with using ChatGPT in terms of the AI component instead of Dialogflow, which we, what is what we've been using so far. And for a lot of brands, like I said, AI will not make sense initially because you need to have a high volume of-, of You need a lot of data. In order for that AI piece, exactly. And there's a bit of a work <laughs> to do there, create the integration build the structure, train the AI brain. So what we're experimenting right now is with replacing Google's AI in this equation with ChatGPT. The thing with ChatGPT is that you we must make sure that it does not fire outside of the context of our client's proprietary information because it could fire and say other things. <laughs> it could advise on other things that we, we may not, like the client will not want 
had to happen. So until that's 100% verified that it works and it's under control, we will hold off, we will keep testing, but that's on my radar, that's what I wanna do, potentially in the next six months to one year, and replace the AI component that we're currently doing right now. Fantastic, fantastic. No, I love that, obviously, it allows you to keep up with the technology so that the clients or the merchant doesn't have to you take on the heavy lifting for them on their behalf, which is nice. Now, we're coming down to the end of our time together. If people want to learn more about you, your technology, your service, etc., are they best to just go to your website, which I'll put the link in the show notes, but it's getgrowai.com is your website. Would you prefer that people get a hold of you that way or that they reach out to you on LinkedIn? How do you prefer that people find you? Either with the website or LinkedIn, if they type in Lizianacom or Twitter, LinkedIn or Twitter is usually where I am. Great. And I'll give a link to your LinkedIn profile as well in the show notes. So that way people can just click through and find you directly. Now we're at the really fun part of the episode where I get to turn the microphone over to you. I get to flip the script. I get to let you ask me one question, any question you like can be personal or professional. Liz Carter from Grow AI. What is your question for me today? Would you ever move back to New Zealand or Australia? Because you spoke well of it, but now you're in Mexico. You've traded. Yeah, look, at this stage, I would say no. I've learned in my life, I'm old enough now to learn to never say never. And for me, I love being here. My wife's family still lives in New Zealand. And my family lives in Brisbane. So definitely down there in that part of the world. I think that I think for now, we love the lifestyle here. We certainly love the weather. We love the freedom. We love, we, there's so many things to love about Mexico. We, I speak conversational Spanish. My wife doesn't speak any. So there is a little bit of a language barrier there for her, for sure. And a little bit of maybe more dependence on me than maybe what she would like, but we're enjoying it. And we're going to, we're going to travel for at least a year before we decide where we're looking to maybe settle longer term in Mexico. Cause I don't think you can go by a YouTube video or what people tell you and recommend. I think you have to feel it for yourself. And so she's going to ultimately be the one that decides where she feels like she could call home. And we're in Ahihik right now, and we're really loving that. And she's really enjoying this because it's a really small town on the, la- on the shores of Lake Chapala, which is the largest lake in Mexico. And it's an hour away from Guadalajara, which is the second biggest city in Mexico. So you still have access to mm. big city things and big city amenities, but you're not in a big city. You're in a small town. I think there's only 30,000 people in Ahihik. So it's pretty small. So I feel like she feels less overwhelmed here than she did when we were in Guadalajara because we stayed in Guadalajara for a month as well. And yeah, that's a long way of saying never say never. But for now, I can't see wanting to move back. I like being back in North America again, especially ease of access to conferences, digital resources, capabilities. I have so many friends and industri- industry colleagues that, that live and work in North America, both the United States and Canada. And so being part of the ecosystem here, is there, there are definitely advantages in being close to the United States market. There's definitely benefits to that, no, hands down. Even though I built my entire career in ANZ and I made my name in ANZ and I love ANZ, there definitely are benefits in being close to the American market. Interesting, because I was so sold on the Australian dream. I'll tell you this, when I stepped out of the airplane when six years ago in, in Australia, I was done never leaving. <laughs> I'm here to stay. That's interesting that you say that. Yeah, I think there was some interesting things that happened in Australia and New Zealand during COVID that some of the things that maybe we took for granted in those two countries, th- there was definitely some big challenges and some seriously hardcore 
lockdowns and what I consider to be serious infringements of civil liberties. We, my, my wife and I love to travel and we didn't get, to, we didn't travel for over three years. And for us, that was just a travesty. And so, yeah, I look, I think without getting too political on it, definitely there was some things that we took for granted that would always be the way in New Zealand and Australia that turned out to not be so during COVID. And that definitely gave me pause about wanting to stay vulnerable to those types of things happening again in the future. When you live effectively on a prison island, it's very easy to prevent people from leaving New Zealand, for example. Very easy. Just shut the borders. You can't leave unless you want to charter a, a plane or unless you want to charter a boat or something like that. It's They can close the borders very easily in New Zealand. And so I, I think that definitely gave me pause about wanting to to stay in New Zealand long long term although I was there for so long I was there for nearly 30 years so I guess that's pretty long term but uh, but yeah look it's it's still a, an incredibly beautiful part of the world like I said I've still got family and friends and so many people that I know and love are based in Australia and New Zealand and and I have Australia and New Zealand to thank for my career because I wouldn't I don't think I would have been able to build my career the way that I did in Australia and New Zealand I would I don't think I would have been able to build it in the same way in the United States. It would have been harder. There, there, there definitely would have been more competition. There would have definitely been, I probably would have been in shoehorn down, going down certain paths that it was a little bit more open slather in Australia and New Zealand for you to go any path you like. And, and I'm going to be forever grateful for that because I now have an amazing lifestyle doing something that I absolutely love. Can't imagine doing anything else. And I'll always be grateful for that is the super long answer. That's very interesting because when I decided to go after, to build a chatbot agency, I decided to go after U.S. clients just because I thought they would be a lot more open to the technology than is very interesting than Australia, which is what I did. And I'm like all of my clients are U.S. based right now and Canada, which makes me wake up at 3 a.m. and start my day. So sometimes I wonder, was that really the best decision? But I still don't know how Australia, I have not targeted Australia just yet with my service only US. So I'm still, we're like, we're the other way around. Listen, Liz, I have had an absolute blast of a conversation with you. I thank you for sharing your knowledge and experience with me and my audience. And I look forward to chatting with you again in the future. And I wish every success with Grow AI and look forward to watching what you do over the next 12, 18 months with it. If you'd like to get mentored by Jason for free, head over to greenwoodconsulting.net, scroll to the bottom of the page and click get mentored by Jason.